Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? Good. Yeah. Is it early or are you ill? Oh, neither. Oh, you sound good um, now. Okay, now now you sound better. Yeah. No, I uh, I just um, I did something I I never do. Uh, which is I crammed, not crammed, that's the wrong mm. word. I ate, I ate some food. Mm. Can, um, I, can I ask what you ate? I ate two warmed up slices of pizza mm. um, for breakfast. Mm-hmm. Did you use a microwave or the uh, the oven? I used the microwave. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, which is, uh, uh, you know, we all know the, not the best way to put pizza back into circulation normally i would eat cold pizza just fine mm-hmm. some reason i thought just i just thought go for it just throw the pizzas in the in the microwave and eat them i recently acquired some new technology that i'm very excited about although i have not figured out how fully to utilize it yet and i acquired a product from the whirlpool corporation right. that purports to be a pan Touch the pan. It's a pan that can be used. It basically looks like a pizza. Uh, it looks like probably like a 12-inch pizza pan. Uh, dingus. What do you call that? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about. Pizza pan. Pizza pan. Pizza pan. But it's treated with some kind of aluminum that can be used in the microwave oven. Wait a minute. I know. See, this flies in the face of everything we've learned. This is our culture and our her- heritage. This is one thing we know. Yep. Man the moon microwave oven, right? Microwave oven cannot heat to the center of a lasagna, and you can't put a pan in a microwave. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't, don't roller skate in a buffalo herd. Uh, but uh, I got this. I've only used it once, but it purports to crisp up the thing that you are heating in the microwave. Crisps it up. Now, have you ever gotten, for example, like gas station French fries that comes in a pack with like like a silvery reflective inside when you heat it? You know that I don't eat potatoes. Oh, you're aware of JoJo's. You just don't consume them. Yeah, but I do know about the packaging that you're describing, the the uh, foil inner the inner foil. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I'm keen to have this happen because me, I like some hot wings. Sometimes when we order a delivery place, I'll get hot wings just for later, kind of for the table, yeah. for my yeah, table. For <laughs> and I like those, and I crisp them up. But what's the problem with a hot wing is you got a, you got a chicken piece and on the inside. On the outside, you got a yummy hot sauce, and in between, you've got some crisped up, probably floury coating thing. And then right. when you heat that in a microwave, and it's just not that fun. No, it sogs up, doesn't so, it? So, yeah. I don't know. I think I might be, this might be something you want to look at. Uh, I am going to, the problem is, it is at odds. I think I've talked, I feel like I definitely talked about this before, but I don't know if you know this about me. I am a master of the microwave Particularly with regard to using the percentages, I'm a percentage man. On the Are you really? Yeah, this Boy, changed I, everything. I just, you know, my my whole feeling about it is like put it in at 100, mm-hmm. percent and it's all a time game. Mm. You're saying it's a percentage game. It can be a percentage game. This is not for everybody because a lot of people they have busy workaday lives and they've got to get on moving moving to the next thing. They're mining bitcoins. They're picking kids up at school. There's a lot going That's right. on. That's but right. so one benefit of we've got a really high wattage microwave that heats stuff super fast. So like almost how, anything. How, how many wattage? It's over a thousand. I want to say like 1,200 or more. 
But we always have to go a little bit south on when they tell you, like, oh, do it for this long. Yeah. You can gets, get those on the street? You can get these these 1,200 mics on the street? Well, you know, we did some aftermarket things to it. We blew, <laughs> blew out the Hemis. And, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Bruce Springsteen did up. Uh-huh. The, the, um, so, I mean, that's great if you want to make hot water. You want pure energy going coursing through your water. Pure energy. Pure energy to generate the heat. <laughs> nice pull. <laughs> That's uh, you want that, but with a pizza. See, here's the thing with a pizza. You put a pizza in for a minute. Yeah. That's going to be a very, very, very hot, possibly burny pizza. Hot wet pizza. Hot wet pizza. I love that movie. So here's my my challenge to you is to start. So first of all, you may know, for example, that for defrosting, if you don't have an auto defrost, if you do need to defrost. Go for like a ten, a ten percent. That's Whoa, that's a really? kind of yeah. Because the problem is, what a microwave does, according to the uh, the the technologies and books that I have uh, acquired, is that it cooks from <laughs> the. Uh, I believe it cooks. I want to say from the inside out. I'm not sure how that works. Inside out. But you get that thing where from you the like, corners. It cooks from the corners. But does something where like it's very. You know, you've had the experience certainly of like let's look at the lasagna. Consider yeah. the lasagna. Consider, Consider the humble lasagna. When you when you heat the lasagna, you get that thing of like one part is scalding and giving you mouth meat, yeah, and another part is like actually Freeze. physically still, cold, still frozen. Yeah. Well, okay. So here's here's my challenge to you. Consider <laughs> consider the forty percent setting. All right. So if you you got a pretty good feel for like how long to put something in to heat it up. I'm thinking about it now. I'm thinking. I'm holding. <clears throat> I'm holding the. Um, Let's say, what is the thing that I microwave the most that isn't uh, like a poured, leftover stew kind of thing? Maybe, yeah, something you know, something. Well, I have I have two I have two two ways I use the microwave actually. The thing that I shouldn't have frozen that I froze, right? And now I want to bring it back to life. You have you you are you are kind of a master of the freezing process. Like if you're not sure if meat's gone bad, you put it in the freezer, right? That's and then right. you can have that later. That's right. The free the freezing. If it's like if I don't cook this today, then I then it's going bad. But I you don't want to throw it away. Yeah. yeah, put it in the freezer and then I'll cook it a year from now. How do you like me now? Uh, I like you plenty now. I think that's yeah. a terrific way to go, and uh, you know it adds a little bit of mystery yeah, to that's the right. process. But, Everything but, you pull out of the freezer, which should be you know it's it's brand spanking new. But like, let's see. Yeah, from, well, you know, it's it was you know when you're, you're you, when you were a kid, did you ever put batteries in the refrigerator to refresh them? course okay so i don't know if people do that anymore it used to be the conventional wisdom was now now you can store your batteries in the fridge supposedly makes them last longer i don't know but i don't when know when i was a kid we take a we take a nine volt and stick it in there overnight and you get a little more juice out of it yeah so what i would suggest is this is very arbitrary but if you have let's say arbitrarily you've got something you need to heat up that you feel like is a let's say a two minute heat up uh-huh. try having the amount of time and doing it at 40 percent same amount of time, but 40%. Half the amount of time. Wait, what? So, well, hang on. No, sorry. Wait a minute. I got my math wrong. Okay, cut, 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 cut that out. When you edit this, cut that out. All right, all right. Instead, beep, do, beep, beep. do this. Almost twice as long for 40%. And what that does okay. is that's going to let those little waves really get in there. And they're going to say, hey, buddy, you know, pump your brakes. We just need to get real deep into the lasagna. This is not, this is not, we're not some teenage boy that needs, needs to bust his nut on this lasagna in, in you know, uh, 40 seconds. Right. Let's be a gentleman about this. Let's uh-huh. let the food 
accommodate the waves. You're just going to slide into their DM. It's okay, buddy. I want to take uh-huh. this at your speed. This is, this is, I'm, I'm a woke yeah. microwave user. This uh-huh. is going to go, you tell me if you want to stop, right? So, so what happens is it's like vibrating. Mm-hmm. I always think of a microwave as cooking by like, by jiggling, by mm-hmm. vibrating like the molecules. molecules. Yeah. So it's in there and it's, it's like. It's really a molecule jiggler. But what you're saying is like, it's just going to, it's going to tickle its way through the outside molecules and be like. Well, right. You don't train a dog by yelling at it. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Don't yell! Don't yell at the lasagna. Anyway, I'm just tossing this out. Experiment. Try try right. this because I have found. And I do this when I, my daughter frequently. My daughter will have like two pieces of pizza. We got leftover pizza. She wants a snack. Of course, two minutes before dinner, she has to have a snack, which is just driving me out of my mind. But like, she gets home from school. I'm gonna make her uh, some pizza. I'll do, and because we have a super strong microwave, I'll do maybe forty percent for a minute twenty. See how it is. It can always do more. You can't undo a microwave. You can only do more microwave. You, you can't. Res- there's no uh, currently with the current technology. There's right. no way to remove microwave. But you know what? You might be amazed. It, it makes it really quite nice. And because you know, it's easy to screw up a pizza. It's it's pretty easy to mess up. Yeah, but also pizza is just such a throwaway food. It's like, <clears throat> but I notice this about myself all the time. I screw up food, and then I sit and shame eat it. Or it's oh, like, you uh, did that. You did that. Now you eat it. I screwed this up so badly. And so now what I deserve is to sit alone at the end of this table with a napkin tucked into my shirt and a knife in one hand and a fork in the other and just, just Ru- like ruefully eating the broken food. Just eat this shit food <laughs> that I man, just really like miserate in every bite. Oh, man. I, I do that. I do, you do feel that. like you learn from it, John? No, no. Hmm. The, the, the tragedy is here's one of the tragedies. I was talking to you, I think, about my inability to cook a steak. Yeah, yeah. And Which I still man, find very surprising. A man mm-hmm. contacted me here in Seattle, and he said, I'm teaching a cook steak, a steak cooking class, a cook steaking class. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he said, I'd like you to come attend the cook steaking class. And I said, I would be so into that. And now uh, I just was offered a gig at the same time as the cook staking class. Oh, bummer. And, uh, you know, I, I <clears throat> partly make my living doing gigs. Yeah, gigs are important. It's a gig economy. It's an out-of-town gig. All the things yeah. about it. And, uh, you know, and I'm just like, uh, I can't yeah, clear do- your calendar for that stuff. It's no good. It's, it's no good, and I just feel, I just feel like I'm just put- – and the thing is, he doesn't offer this class all the time. This is a this is a class that just comes up every once in a while. I don't know why. I, he seems like he should be able to do it every day. Yeah, every morning he should wake up and teach us. What if you could just class. What if you could just hop on the blower and have him give it to you in pigs and bunnies? You think there's something where he could just give you the high level, give you three bullets on a on a cook staking? I mean, is that insulting to to his method? Uh, probably. I mean, what one time I took a a um, I took a an engineering class, like a, like a studio production class, mm-hmm. because I've sat in recording studios a hundred times looking over people's shoulders, asking them questions. What are you doing there? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm changing the shelf on the, on the bus. Mm-hmm. It's like, Oh, you're changing the shelf on the bus. I don't know. What I, yeah. And I even know what those terms should, should mean. You're thinking to yourself, should I be changing the shelf on my bus? Well, shit is exactly right. right. I mean, you know, like, 
I run my vocals through an 1176. Mm-hmm. I love I love the way the machine sounds. I I know them intimately from staring at them. But still every single thing that a person does on them I have no idea what they're doing. Like this I is, can't I'm be- just looking at this. This is the uh 1176LN the, the classic limiting amplifier. Mhm. Mhm. Oh, it's got a lot of knobs, John. But it's a wonderful, wonderful machine, mm-hmm. and it has. It, the, and then it, the thing is, it has tricks. There are tricks you can do on it. You can push all the buttons in at once, which everybody agrees is really great. And so, if I owned one, they're not cheap. If I owned one, I would put all the buttons in at once, and I'd leave it there. Mm-hmm. And I would find a setting, and I would just leave it there. I would never touch it again. But the problem is, and I, I don't know if you encountered this. Because you're somebody that uh, that spends some time understanding the architecture, and I like to understand the architecture. You got to know the rules before you break them. That's right. And when when a, a compressor or a limiter is doing its job, I understand in my mind's eye kind of what's happening, kind of to sound, which I kind of understand. But I cannot quite put together, you know, how I, am I like a mental picture? You know, I, mm-hmm. I look at the course of a year and I, ha- I scope it out as a geography. Yeah. But I can't quite. In you know, all like the years, a, mental, a mental a map. I mean, just give, a me, map. give me an idea how the terrain works. Yeah. But the maps sometimes require, maps sometimes require that you understand the physical property of of the thing that you're doing, right? This is why it's so hard to make a map of right, 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 right. If it doesn't have the topography time. on it, it might not be so useful. Maybe that's not such a shortcut. Yeah, right. So if you don't understand what sound is, how can you make a map of it? Mm-hmm. And, if, and how much can you understand what sound is unless you really study sound? You can't just like, oh, sound is some waves. Like, yeah, all right, waves. But like sound going through a box, mm-hmm. uh, that, that's electricity. It's one of those things where, like, you when you, if you try to ask for the short version, you're going to find yourself moving up and up and up in the stack to like something you you thought you knew but didn't really understand. You, you need mm-hmm. to understand before as a predicate, like before you get to this other thing. Correct. It's the predicate. What, what that, even is what even is sound? What it what even is it? Mm-hmm. And so you know, so I sit and I'm talking to engineers, and they're like, "Yeah, well, you just you know, it's just yeah, this is just." You just put a shelf on the bus, mm-hmm. and I go, I don't even, yeah, okay. But what is, what am I trying for? And then the, then the problem is it's all, they'll look at you, and they're just like, we'll just do it till it sounds good. Mm-hmm. It's like, ah, yeah, okay. But it sort of, sa- it, it sort of sounds differently good every direction. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I took a class from a noted uh, engineer producer and it was me and like four other people and he walked us through it was like three days we I, I went down and stayed in a hotel in portland and went to three days worth of being in the studio wow um, learning all the stuff and <clears throat> i came out of there exactly as ignorant as i was when i went in and through no fault of uh of the class but just that there's a fundamental comprehension that I am lacking that the class didn't address because it's not that wasn't under the within the purview of the class. 
And, oh, it's like you went straight into algebra too. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, oh, well, here you go. Just run it into here and bust it over here and put a shelf on it over here. And I was still sitting there with a dunce cap on going, but what is sound? Mm-hmm. Or what am, what are we what are we doing? What are we manipulating? Like how does how does me going like, ooh, child, things are gonna get easier mm-hmm. turn into electricity that goes into these things and is manipulated by your knobs and out the other side. I get it. I mean I get it. I've heard it a thousand times, but I just don't get it there's another mm, i feel like there's another problem maybe just because i know so very little and all i ever do is twiddle it till it sounds good to me yeah with my dumb bad ears but like okay here's a phenomenon that um i used to be on one end of and i'm now on the other end of i used to always be on the end of some dingus you came through a phenomenon and you're on the other end of it well yeah and i'm not loving it but, oh. uh, but you've been on the end of the phenomenon where some dingus is using the computer and they're not doing it fast enough or smart enough for you. And you're like, no, no, just click, click file, file. No, up there, up there. Click, <laughs> menu, click that, click that. Because for some reason, when you're driving, you're blind. Like you don't see stuff. Like have you ever noticed? And so the other end of that now is like when I'm using the computer, my daughter's constantly frustrated that I'm not doing the thing that she thinks she would do faster. I think there should be, a, there's probably a name for this, but there is a phenomenon when somebody else is doing the physical, I don't know if it's a modal thing, but when one person is doing Mode. the physical manipulation, the other person sees things more clearly mm-hmm. right and i bet that goes five times more with audio where one nice reason to have somebody in the room with you engineering is that they are they know how that machine works and what sound makes and then they you're able to have like two sets of ears working on it yeah do you know what i'm saying though I absolutely mean, well but, and that's what's wonderful about recording for me is that when some when some tiny tiny adjustment is made to the sound by a knob, I perceive it, mm-hmm. and also have an opinion about it, <clears throat> and want it to be this or that. And I know enough about the words that I can say, "Eh, well, just put a little bit more shelf on that bus." Mm-hmm. And the engineer is like, "Yep, right." And then he does it, and it's exact. And I was right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have no idea though what. Because I'm just talking in, I'm just making, I'm casting spells, you know? I'm like just, I learned some spells mm-hmm. from some wizards. Well, and the thing is also your quality control gets weird because like everybody knows, I don't know if they still call it this, but there used to be something called an aural enhancer, where if you put an aural enhancer on something, it suddenly sounds a lot fresher. But uh-huh. you also don't want it to sound too fresh. You don't want it to sound too aural enhanced. Oh, Do you know what I'm saying? I do. Could be well, that, and, that goes for compression, that that goes for equalization, that goes for limiting, that goes for so many things. And there's another example of this that's gone around a lot over the years where people who insist they can tell like tiny differences between quality of like audio formats, they found that you can trick almost anybody into thinking something sounds better by making it slightly louder uh-huh. than the other examples. <laughs> and they go, oh, that well, one sounds a lot better. Oh, that does sound better. Well, like the guy, I forget exactly. There was one famous guy, maybe Nuno Betancourt or, mm. or Ingve <laughs> Malmsteen, somebody mm-hmm. well, uh, who said that they, I forget it, it wasn't Todd Rundgren, but somebody liked to put three-quarter used up nine volts in their effects boxes because the three-quarters used up battery gave the... <laughs> it's a warmer sound. 
Gave it warmer sound. <laughs> I knew it was going to be that word. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so much warmer. You don't want a yeah. fresh battery in there. Oh, the fresh battery just sounds so Fresh battery in a rat. That's just, that's too much. But we do this all the time in mixing records where the record just sounds amazing when you, you're, mi- you're sitting in the studio, you're mixing it through your NS10s, which are terrible sounding, but everybody uses them. And we're all like, that's great. And then. And then the engineer says, well, listen to them on headphones. And you put the headphones on, and you're like, oh, no, this sounds terrible. Yeah. And you cannot just mix something hearing it through one source. And that is the real destabilizing thing because you have to – because mixing is such a delicate art and the room and other people's sweat and, and – uh, And if you're only listening to like one – like you mute all the other tracks, you're listening to one isolated track. Like you're not going to hear that the same way once you bring up the bass and the drums, stuff like that. Bring up that bass. You know, I mean, that sounds like an obvious thing, but that's the other thing is like, is there's no shortcut really to saying like, well, we want to fill the entire musical spectrum. I mean, people, I, I imagine that is very intuitive, and that you do that once once you've got all the levels and sounds kind of how you want. Then the really artful thing, it seems to me, is being able to make it all sound good together, which is almost impossibly hard. And you fuck yourself up, and if you change one thing wrong, and then you go and listen to your car, and you're like, "What? This doesn't sound anything like it should sound," and it's quiet. You listen, you know that new uh, Portugal the Man song, which I'm going to keep referring to because everybody in the country's got it stuck in their head. It's very catchy. They're the, th- according to my daughter, they are the third most popular band at her school. Wow, who are the other two? She didn't say. No kidding. No, but she 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 was listening to it in the shower. I I, t- I tutored about this a couple weeks ago. I was like, what is that song? She's like, it's Portugal the Man. <laughs> I was like, Portugal period the Man. Like, I think Uncle John knows them. Like, that's really weird. It's super. Ca- it's not at all what I expected. I thought it was going to be mopey Portland beard music. Mm, no, and, and they they have made quite a bit of like psychedelic music. I mean, it doesn't sound like them. Hmm. Their their hit song. Oh, um, okay, Portugal. Like yeah. their music is. I I think you would like. I think you would like it. They are they're Portland uh they're by way of or by way of Alaska. Wasilla, Alaska. Uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> so they're from B F motherfucking E as we say. Yes. In the north. Mm-hmm. Um like Wasilla now is not the Wasilla of their childhoods and certainly not the Wasilla of my childhood. They got a hell of a flag in Wasilla. In my in in my life <sighs> Uh, Wasilla. I mean, you could you could carry a gun into the Seven Eleven in Wasilla. Sure. I bet you couldn't do that now. Mm-hmm. Ah, you might be eh. able to. It's pretty it small. Depends on, who, depends on who's working, probably. It's a, it's a wide spot on the road. Yeah, uh, and the road isn't very wide. Mm. But those guys, they're they're fun. They're taking the piss. But if you listen to the bass sound on that track, it's already a very cool sound. Uh, coming out of the gate, the bass has its own tone that's pretty unusual for a contemporary pop song. And and when it comes in, the first time I really listened to the tune and, the, and I heard it start with this bass line, my feeling was there's no way they're going to be able to sustain that bass sound through the track because it's it's an a very individual bass sound, but it's like that's not gonna that's not gonna punch through. It's not gonna it's not gonna be sufficient because it's such a nuanced tone. But then in the production of the song, which I think was produced by like Mike D and Danger Mouse, mm-hmm. I mean it's like oh that makes a lot of sense. 
somehow oh, that is a this, very unusual I'm listening right now it's a very unusual bass sound yeah somehow this it's plunky really, and it's plunky and it's got a little bit of like a slap back mm-hmm. and some and some reverb it's pretty 60s sounding it it sounds almost like flat wound strings mm-hmm. and you just wouldn't think that it would it would manage on on contemporary radio but the production is so good that it, that that they're able to keep this like thump 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 kind of bass sound going and it's and it really propels it really propels the song mm-hmm. but but it's one thing to get a tone like that in the studio and be like ah oh, that's a cool bass sound mm-hmm. but to commit to it stick to it and make it work i mean that's that's real artistry and it's what distinguishes that song from from everything else that's on the radio right now, which is just like, mm-hmm. whoa. Yeah. Oh, excuse me. That's terrible. No, that's fine. To a microphone. You're mm. going to cut that out, right? <laughs> this episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you by Squarespace. You can learn more about Squarespace right now by visiting squarespace.com. And hey, hey, listen, when you're ready to launch there, always remember, always use the offer code SUPERTRAIN and that will save you 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain, Squarespace. Oh, there's so many things you can do with Squarespace. You guys, you can create a beautiful website to turn your cool idea into a new site. You can showcase your work. You can blog or publish other kinds of content, text and what have you. You can sell products and services of all kinds, promote your physical or online business. Hey, confidential to every restaurant, please get rid of your Flash website from 2005 and get a Squarespace site. Squarespace, I want to be able to see it on a phone. That's a freebie. They can just run with that. You can announce your events, your special projects, so much more. And you know what? Hey, you can even run a, 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 a podcast right on Squarespace. You know how I know? Because I'm doing it right now. You are listening to Roderick on the Line. Hello. And that is because of Squarespace. We host all of Roderick on the Line on Squarespace. Lock, stock, and as they say, barrel. Squarespace. So Squarespace does this by giving you so many things. I have a whole bulleted list here, so so hang on to your pants. You get beautiful templates that are created by world-class designers. This is true. Powerful e-commerce functionality that lets you sell anything online. The ability to customize the look and feel, settings, products, and more. Just a few clicks. Everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box. Your site is going to look great on any dingus or device out there. Who doggies is this ever great? Squarespace also has a new way to buy domains. You can choose from over 200 extensions. They have analytics that help you grow in real time. Built-in search engine optimization, also known as SEO. Mm -hmm, Built-in. Free and secure hosting. Nothing to patch or upgrade ever. Plus, uh, on top of it all, 24 by 7 award-winning customer support. You ain't going to probably need any help, but if you do, they got it, 24 by 7. So go out and make it. They're encouraging people to go out and make it. You make it yourself. You create a website by yourself with Squarespace. Well, I mean, technically, it's with you and Squarespace. But, you know, they're there to help you out with that. You know, and uh, this is that time of year, you know, when I want to be sure to mention that I... I can't promise you Squarespace is perfect for everybody. Maybe you've got some kind of dingling website you're really happy with, but I can pretty much guarantee you there is someone in your life somewhere. You have friends, you have family, you have people at the different groups you're involved with. Maybe you're a Wiccan. I don't know, but somebody out there needs a website and you do not want to be the person who is making the Wiccan website. You want to send them to Squarespace. Anybody can do it. Doesn't have to be Wiccan. You know, they seem like nice people. You know, you think it, you dream it, you make it. With Squarespace. Squarespace.com. So go right now, please. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the very special offer code SUPERTRAIN to take 
10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Roderick on the Line and all the great shows. <laughs> I, I did a... I did a uh, <laughs> Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting <laughs> Roderick on the Line and all the great shows. I, uh, I, I have a podcast called Friendly Fire now. You might have heard about it. It's a war mm-hmm. movie podcast. And in the first episode... Apparently, I took a bite of something, a sandwich or something. Oh, no. Now, I don't remember doing this. Mm. It's very unusual for me to have a sandwich during the recording of you a podcast. You don't have any recollection of it. I have none. No, mm. no recollection. But this podcast is on the Maximum Fun dot network. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And their fans are very particular, mm-hmm. as you may recall. You've had some you've had some association with that. I've had, yeah, I've had some run-ins with Maximum Fun. I've dealt with over that the, over the years. Oh sure, I was listening to a Maximum Fun podcast this morning with your uh, with your uh, your tune departure in it. Oh yes, the Mabimbams. And those guys all those guys also say their fans are very particular, uh, very hard. I think that's why they don't use Twitter so much anymore. Oh, because they get yelled at. <laughs> yeah, this is the downside <laughs> of having a fan. <laughs> Fans listen. Dear sirs. Does Travis need to speak in that particularly peak tone quite that loudly? I got a dear sir uh, the other day, and I and I really yelled at the guy. I was like, what did you intend this tweet to do? What is this in service of? Yeah. Are you trying to make me feel good or bad? No, five times a day, John. I don't do that. It's so hard not to. I don't usually do it, but but this one with just this particular. Sometimes I'm just tempted to say, "Hey, that seemed kind of hurtful." <laughs> yeah. I don't, I'm not asking for an apology, but like I think you didn't realize that what you said was a little bit hurtful. We had a tweet yeah. the other day. Somebody loved our recent episode of Dubai Friday so much they said that from now on Max's father should be on instead of Max every episode. Lol. And I was really tempted to say, you know, that's a little bit hurtful. That's yeah. that. Yeah, I know you're being fun and having fun with that, but that's a little bit hurtful. Yeah, I yelled. I yelled at this guy for the for the length of three tweets, dear sir. And uh, and he wrote back, and he was like, "I thought you would think that was funny Law. and not get offended." Yeah, right. And I was like, "Ah, don't you understand? Uh, Hostility is love on Twitter." But anyway, the fact that I apparently took a bite of a sandwich, and now I've checked with some other people uh, that I podcast with, and I and I need to check in with you. But mm-hmm. uh, I think uh, Dan Benjamin, your good friend, mm-hmm. Dan, yeah, Dan. Said that on the first podcast I did with him, I took a bite of a sandwich. Hmm. And I, I'm not sure I believe this. I It would require that I bring a sandwich. I'm not here to eat your shorts, but, uh, but I'll, I'll just tell you that's a reference. Oh, that, yeah. uh, the, uh, for one, no, no, I don't think you eat. Sometimes we both drink something. I've been told that you can hear this a lot in my podcast, or better put, like you hear like a... Seltzer can being put down. Oh, I have heard that. Mm, I try and... Mm. You hear the train in the background. I mean, you might have a squeaky chair. You hear a train? You can hear that? <laughs> a little oh, bit. I have a very squeaky chair. Wait. But I just want to tell you, uh, you know, you're... That snort you just did, that is mm-hmm. an old school OG BFED Wasilla John Roderick snort that you don't do so much anymore. You used to be a huge snorter. And now you, I don't, would snort? you don't snort. You, don't, you used to snort a lot, and now you don't snort as much. Do people really? I would do a snort. Do I try people, so hard you, not to snort, and then sometimes yeah. I'll listen back to something, especially if it's in the kind of informal before or after show part that ends up somewhere, and I just, 
I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that into a microphone? I have I make a lot of mouth sounds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 Squeak. Uh, but uh, but also Squeak. also I uh, you know I have a a voice that comes from a. Uh, husky place. Oh yeah, yeah. It comes you're from like a human some... sarcophagus. There's like a, you're like a like a plate reverb man. It's coming from deep inside, <laughs> inside your vessel. Yeah, yeah. It's a kind of it's a sound. It's why I don't like the sound of my own voice uh, when I hear it because it just sounds very. Um, there's a lot of other tones in it. A kind of uh, uh, I hate I hate to use the phrase. This is one that's going to haunt me, but it's, but it's a little bit phlegmatic. Oh, you think you got a little bit of rattle? There's a little, yeah. There's just some. There's some sound. Does that count as you vocal know. fry, John? No, no. I, I have, I have pure tone. Mm. I'm, I'm not doing vocal fry. No, it's like a natural kind of. <clears throat> <laughs> You know, amount yeah. of something. I bring my, I bring my whole body into the into the sound. If we recorded at a different time of day, I'll speak for this program. You and I would probably have fewer noises that we're making. Hmm. A lot of what we're making are morning noises. Morning sounds. We're grown men. We're grown ass men, and we make morning noises. I've thought about trying to record a song in the in like in the early morning because the because my voice has a very distinctive. Tone that I would love to capture in a song. Mm, it's world weary. Yeah, and mm-hmm. kind of just like I can get much lower in the mm. morning. I just get all like a that, Stephen like, Merritt kind of like improbably low voice. Probably low. But I hear you know I hear uh, people. You and I both when we start sentences sometimes, you know we start up a little higher and then we come down low. <laughs> You're famous for starting really high <laughs> and, and going higher. Here. Working your way down. Yeah, I do like I do like a Mariah, and then I'll add an yeah. octave, yeah. <laughs> way up there, and then it just like a pachinko game. It just sort of. Uh, but but uh. But you know that's all for effect. This is what we do. <laughs> it's for effect. <coughs> and you hear you hear all the you hear all the uh, oh. just in my cough there. You hear all the <laughs> everything that's in the voice is in the voice. I I I hear. A lot of voiceover work being done now. I'm conscious of voiceover work, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> and, <clears throat> and although I do feel uh, that there's something like deeply wrong with the sound of my voice, I when I hear other people doing voiceover work, I think, now wait a minute, mm-hmm. I could certainly do that better than them. I mean, I'd need my tooth back. Oh, is there a certain like genre? I think you do great without the tooth. Is there a certain like genre of voiceover work where you feel that that's prevalent? Is this in like your first person shooter games you like to play? Could it be an ad for nachos, public service announcement, overhead at the uh, airport? Like what are the kinds of ones that really get your goat? I already do the overhead at the airport here at SeaTac. I thought I recognized that. Yeah. Um, hi, welcome to SeaTac Airport. <laughs> Don't leave your luggage. Hi, I'm, hi, I'm John Roderick hi. from hi. Seattle's The Long Winters. Uh, please don't leave your luggage unattended by the baggage carousel. Right. Thank you. Please please uh, move to the right. Allow faster people to go by on the moving sidewalk. Hi, this is John Roderick from The Long Winters. There's no parking or waiting in the red zone. The, hi. 
Hi, this is John Roderick from the Long Winners. The white area is for loading and unloading. Um, I feel like <clears throat> who was the guy? <clears throat> who was the guy from Northern Exposure that d- does all that voiceover Holling work? Van, Holling Van Coor? No, the other guy, the uh, radio guy, John John Corbett. John Corbett. He's the radio boy. Uh, no, is that Wasn't right? He, he's yeah, the guy, he had, he's the on the radio show on. Uh, I think he had the radio show. John Corbett. I don't yeah. know. It's been a long time since I saw that TV show. I think I just like saying Holling Van Coor. Which one was he? Oh, he's the older fellow with the money. The one that's like uh, in all the movies. Hauling. He's, the, he's the movie star. Hauling. He plays the mil- he plays the millionaire, the astronaut. He, he, is that am I getting the name right? Wasn't he an Hauling, astronaut? Movie? Hauling Van Coor, naturalized citizen, owns and manages the Brick, a bar and restaurant which is the center of social life in oh, Sicily. No, that's a different that's a different one. He's the he's the blondie guy. He's not the. Uh, oh, he's who, not, who, okay, now who's the old guy that played the general in War Games? Who am I thinking of? Yeah, right. That's the guy that I'm thinking of. War Games. Oh, yeah, that guy. What's his name? War Games. Anyway, continue. Uh, so, John Corbett does a lot of, I don't know, I hear his voice doing beer ads. Mm-hmm. and, and uh, But but he's got that kind of wry, like, Tom Day mm. sort of like, we'll leave the light on for you. Mm-hmm. Like, folksy, sort of. I feel like if you needed a folksy voice, hmm. I feel like, do I have a folksy voice? Oh, I think you're good in folksy if you choose to. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, hi, this is <laughs> this is John Roderick, and uh, that's that's chilling. I don't like that I'll, at all. I'll leave the uh, hi. <laughs> He's selling like a clown with a van. Hey, I'll leave. I'll can you help on. me find yeah. my puppy? I lost my puppy. <laughs> I, I got broke I got my some arm. I got some candy on a necklace I can give you if you get in the van and help me come find my puppy. I'm a happy clown. <laughs> Hi. You ever listen to that one song, Exploder, everybody passed it out? That was my song. That was my song about the astronauts and whatnot. They break down the tracks, get in my van. Do you like Baileys? Would you like, would you like some Baileys? Remember I sang that part about the crew compartments breaking up? That was me. I'm John Roderick. No, uh, Yeah, you could do better. Whoa, John Corbett is six foot five inches tall. He's tall. He's married Dirt- to Bo Derrick? No, he's not. Shit, dog! He's been married uh-huh. to Bo Derrick since 2002? That can't be true. Well, it's on the, it's on the uh, Internet Science page. It says it. Look John, at that. I'll so be swoggled. In the 90s, hmm. uh, when they were making that show, um, they were, you know, they were filming that right here in, uh, in good old Seattle town. Oh. Right, right outside of town. Right outside of town. Up in the mountains. And uh, so he was around, and I think he bought a bar here in Seattle. I think he bought the um, the Merchants Cafe or something. One of those old, one of the bars from That's like cool. 1870. It was cool, but there was, you know, there there was a lot of scuttlebutt around town about him, mm. and sort of the fact that he was, you know, he was sowing his wild oats. But it was the '90s. He was a TV star. He was born in 1961, meaning he was 30. In 1991, he was at the peak of his fame. I bet he was. I bet he was causing real trouble around here. Get more tail than Sinatra. But you know, I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't. I wasn't traveling in those circles. So Bo Derek's five years older than he is. That's it. He's 56. I, I like she's 61. I would have guessed that she's 82. Well, you know, she, I'm sure during the peak of her fame, 1979. Mm-hmm. Uh, she would have been, uh, what, what would she have been? She would have been 31. 
Alexa, how old was Bo Derek in 1979? Thanks. How old? 32 years? 22. Wait a minute. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, 22. 22 or 23, according to uh, the lady in the tube. Right. So, you know, if you're going to be in a movie and run on a beach in slow motion in a bikini, 22 is kind of like... That's that's, that's an excellent beach running age. Yeah, that's a a good window for that. Mm -hmm. Um, And somehow, uh, John Corbett and Bo Derek met one another. That's what I'm curious about. Like... How? Yeah, I would have guessed that they were 40 years apart, 30 years apart. Yeah, not much. John and well, Bo moved to Germany, returned after, wait a minute, what? Oh, that's John Derrick. Okay, hang on. Okay. John Corbett. Oh, she only marries John so far. <gasps> okay. Hey, heads up. Okay. She marries yeah. John's. Wait a minute. Mm-hmm. I'm still, you know, I still feel like uh, Winona Ryder and I have a future together because in 1992... Yeah, uh, all the Johns were marrying Winona Ryder. Oh, actor, singer, guitarist. Uh, okay, I'm a little bit lost. So, voiceover work. Oh, your yeah, your uh, your sarcophagal rattle. But the thing about voiceover work is, it's like all work. I don't know if you know this about work. Tell me about work. There are a lot of people that want it. Oh, I see. There's always somebody hungrier. Yeah, people want to work, and. Uh, you know, I, I had quite a few friends from Seattle who reached the age of, let's say, 28, and they felt like Seattle was too small for them, and they moved. They moved to other places. For instance, Reggie Watts, Reginald Watts, mm-hmm. was a well, you're Seattle one of your former nemesis. Yeah, that's right. One of one of uh, you know, he was a Seattle uh, star. He had a band called Mock Tube. Um, that's that's he, uh, German for more tube, more tube, more tube, <laughs> more tub. Uh, and he he lorded it around Seattle pretty good, but then he decided that this town was too small, and he moved Damn. to New York. And it turns out he was correct. Hmm. And I remember saying to him, even uh, when he was my nemesis, mm-hmm. I uh, I heard that he was moving to New York, and. Uh, we bumped into each other at a party in one of those situations where I was I, I went around a corner and he was coming around the other corner and we literally were like clonk. Mm. And then we're standing there. Now you got to talk. And there's that there's still that whole business between us. Yes. And so we're standing there looking at each other. Mm-hmm. And I said in a way that I think I thought at the time was very generous. Now I realize it's a kind of generosity that... Um, you know, everybody's got a different kind of generosity. Oh, huh. Uh, and and the, one of the generosities huh. that I have is that I like to give shout-outs to people. Mm-hmm. I know people that don't give shout-outs. And I always wonder why. It doesn't cost you anything to say, hey, this person helped me. Or, hey, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for this or that. The other kind of shout-out I give is the small one, the personal one between two people where I go, you know what? Even though I don't like you, I admire your thing. Mm-hmm. And so Reggie and I were standing there in the, at this party and looking at each other. And I said, you know, Reggie, I hear you're moving to New York. And frankly, I think Seattle's too small for you. Mm-hmm. I, think you I think you're bigger than this town. And I think moving to, New York's, mo- moving to New York's the right move. And he was surprised because I also could have said Reginald mm-hmm. and gone around him. 
Uh, and I think that that uh, that let let us part on good terms. And oh, now, you, you feel like he was uh, he was accepting of that as a, a kind of compliment. I think he re- I think he appreciated it. Yes, uh, because he was you know he was on the cusp of making that move and was probably anxious about it. Because now when we see each other, it's it's uh, you know that's a long time ago. Mm-hmm. But I had and, and, uh, not I we had he and I even had. Uh, mutual friends who moved to LA during that same time to, because Seattle, they felt Seattle was too small for them and they were going to go down there to LA and become actors. Mm-hmm. You got to go. And if you're going to play, you're going to play in the big show. You got to go to LA. That's right. You hear that? You hear that train? No. Um, I just talked to some people uh, the other day in San Francisco who said they are rock musicians. Did you and I talk about this? Who said that you can't be a rock musician in San Francisco? All oh, right, you got to go to East Bay, right? You get, well, no, you got to go move to L.A. Oh, I see. How, however, L.A. has no clubs, and San Francisco still inexplicably, although no rock scene anymore, still has rock clubs. I could not name a San Francisco band right now. Yeah, isn't that a tragedy? Well, part of it's me and my age, and I don't go to the bottom of the hill anymore. But, but, but I mean, there, there, was, are... there was a time when there was like a dozen bands that I followed oh, I very know. actively, for sure. Oh, I know. You were like Mr. San Francisco. Well, I mobbed up. You got, you got, you got the Vanner Slice, you got Oranger, you got Beulah. You got, mm. There were just so many good bands in the early mm-hmm. 2000s. Mm-hmm. Action Slacks. Action Slacks. Oh, you know, I went to school with their uh, drummer. Is that right? Mm-hmm. We went to the new college together. I, yeah, Marty! Uh... But San Francisco still has all these rock clubs. So the, the San Francisco music scene right now, I think, is just the L.A. music scene. Uh, uh, interesting. It's easy for them to go up there and play shows. Like, you know, the kind of shows that you play when you're in a band, which is not always a full venue. You want a place that has 200 capacity, uh, where uh, if there's only 100 people there, it still feels like a good room. And so there are a lot of those kind of bands in L.A. that, that go up and play shows. Anyway, so a lot of I have I have a pretty good handful of friends that went down to Los Angeles to become actors. Can you can you with, give a redacted version of how that went mostly? <clears throat> well, it was a time I think where there was a feeling that sketch comedy was going to be a thing that that came out of L.A. instead of out of New York. Oh, and so there were some edgy sketch people that went down. <laughs> Uh, and the edgy sketch people very quickly transitioned to, I hope I can get a role in this commercial for Kodak. Right. And then pretty soon they were just auditioning for anything. And even though they were only 32, they were like trying to get the role of the dad in the, in the, uh, Palmolive ad. Oh man. Yeah. And then pretty soon they were waiters. Yeah. And, um, or, or, you know, or not that, even that town will just eat you alive, even on a good day, alive. on a good day. Jeez. And what they would say is for every role that I would go audition for, there were dozens, not only dozens of people looking for that job, but dozens of more handsome, better, uh, educated, younger, hungrier people looking for the job. And it was, and it just felt like, wow, up in Seattle, I was kind of a big deal. Yeah, 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 you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a theater company. We had our own space. We were called. David the- Sedaris has a hilarious bit about this from a million years ago. <clears throat> we talked about when he was in high school in, I think, North Carolina. You know, he was like the mopey goth kid. 
mm-hmm. like the smart mopey, like, ooh, that guy's dark and dangerous. And then he's like, he's like, I went to college and I'm paraphrasing here, but something like he went to college and like, there were so many more of him who were better at it than him. Mm-hmm. It sucks. Mm-hmm. Cause that's your deal. You got your deal. Like in high school, you get to have a deal. Yeah. You get a deal. I mean, especially like, like you could, uh, you could, uh, paint a, paint a skull, uh, on your jean jacket with the uh, liquid paper. You're probably the only guy that did that. I was the only guy in Anchorage that did that. Yep. Uh, you come down to Seattle, everybody's, everybody's got, got a, a skull in the jacket with skull. the liquid paper. I always felt like uh, it was a big advantage to me to go to Gonzaga for a couple of years because that was during a period of my life when my only goal was to be the one the furthest on the fringe. And in Spokane, and particularly at Gonzaga, at a, at a Catholic university, a, a Jesuit school with a undergraduate population of twenty five hundred kids, it was not much effort to be the one that was the furthest out. Uh, and there, you know, there are always going to be people that are further out in in one direction or another. There always there were always people that took more drugs than me, right? Um, or that were more, uh, like strictly edgy, mm-hmm. but in terms of being one person that was the furthest out from the, from the center whilst still being in the orbit, like that was easy to be for me in gun at Gonzaga. Mm-hmm. If I'd been at the university of Washington, which had 40,000 students at that time. To be that person, I would have had to have been a lot more at <clears throat> at risk of injury, first of all, because I, you know, I would walk into a party at Gonzaga and do do just that stupid shit. You just like break a wine bottle over your head. It's much harder to do <laughs> than it seems. It hurts a lot more yeah. because in the movies, of course, they're make they use wine bottles that are made to break. Yeah, they make them out of sugar. Make them out of sugar. Mm-hmm. They don't make real wine bottles out of sugar. Mm-mm. You can really knock yourself out. Well, that might be it. an unexploited opportunity. Let's be honest. But at you know, like on University Avenue, it, I would have it would have I would have been even worse off than I am. I would have been missing more teeth than I am. Uh, you know, and so to be in that, to be in a, to be the the weird fish in a small pond, mm-hmm. um, helped me. I think a lot, protected me. And it is like being the edgy goth kid at your high school, where you're just like, it it keeps you keeps you safe. I think if I'd gone to L.A. or even San Francisco, certainly New York, it would have been a very different thing for me. I think because the first time the long winters arrived in New York City, we had a big article in um, the Village Voice. We played a show. Our first ever show in New York, and it was full, and the audience all knew our songs. And I think it was because we were from Seattle. We were exotic. Mm-hmm. If we'd been a New York band, right, we would have just been just another New York band to them. Uh, but... <laughs> But now, you know, we live out on the West Coast, and now it's like I walk around and go, oh, hey, everybody, it's me. This, old, this, this, also, me. this also gets into this this um, broader problem with expertise, experience, and how we evaluate how we're doing whatever it is that we do, which is like, you know, 
when I was a weird like eighth grader making up my own games that I could play by myself and, and reading books. And like, I had this own, my own kind of self, self assessed idea of like how smart I was alongside other people. Like I tested well and I was a reader and there's all this stuff, but like if you had exposed, if I'd been exposed to a lot of like genuinely smart people, maybe even people who were younger than me, I would have utterly withered. Mm. And I think when you get to something like uh, the business that is show, and it's not show friend, it's show business. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things with that is like, I, I feel, I don't know, I just feel like this is such a thing with people who want to go into the arts, especially, is that um, being, well, let's even say you're talented, like you're empirically talented. Well, there's a lot of people who are empirically talented. There has to be some kind of, and I feel like you really see this in New York, whether you're talking about being in plays or delivering pizzas, there's a certain kind of bare knuckle, real world reality to having done something a lot in a certain place. Certainly you could look at something like stand up comedy and somebody, you know, somebody who assumes that they're really great at stand up versus somebody who's done it even like 20 times. Like there's a huge difference. And I guess I feel like a lot of it comes down to not just whether you're good, whether you assess that you're good, but how much you love and like thrive on the grind of whatever that industry or job is. Right. And I think this goes for like a million things. Like you don't, you think you want to become like, you want, you know, you don't realize like working a lot of working in an office is not the practition of your skill that you learned. It's learning how to deal with people and being on time for meetings and being in your chair and all this kind of stuff where it's like, well, you know, it's without having on-the-job experience and exposure to the reality of a job, I guess what I'm saying is somebody who's great at the hustle in L.A., I'm going to conjecture, and who has the right agent, might get way better roles than somebody mm. who's empirically talented but is not great at the hustle. That's absolutely the case. And <clears throat> I mean, is this too like... obvious a point? I feel like you can really lose this in the lights, is that like the reality of every job is, and it's not doesn't just come down to hustle, but it's something where you're like, you're, I don't know, maybe invigorated by all the losses somehow. I, but like, there's got to be, there's something where like, if you, you look at everybody else in that audition and you go like, oh, these people are younger, they're less experienced, they're da 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 but like, they may have some kind of a, a fire or grit that you just don't have that is utterly critical for even getting your first role the the when you're young and starting out i think it's easy to make the mistake of thinking that the people that that what happens is people with hustle get past you even though you have more talent but when you get old, I think, at least in show friends, I mean, oh, show business. Sorry, me. Sean, we got that wrong. I always get that mixed up. Um, you realize that the people that get past you are the ones that have hustle and more talent. Like, it's very rare. Somebody said this to me the other day. Did it bother you? Does it still bother you that all those... Uh, it was a person that was trying to compliment me about the sound of my band. And they were like, well, you know, I love your band so much. Does it bother you that all those other people got famous and there was something about the long winners that didn't catch fire? Does that like bother you? And I said, do you mean that it bothers me that the new pornographers and spoon and band of horses and the Decemberists all got famous and not me? Because those bands are all great. Mm-hmm. Like they're not. 
I don't think that Band of Horses got famous and the Long Winters didn't, and it was because they hustled. It's because they're, they had an incredible sound. But it wasn't because sound. of which, which put a lucky spell on them. It's because they, they worked really hard. I mean, they were killer. New pornographers too. like just keep spoon, the same thing. I mean, they just mm-hmm. were, you know, to me, the great example is always Mountain Goats, where like they just keep putting out records and touring. And that's, they, yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, one, one way to like uh, get lucky is to work really fucking hard. Well, and Mountain Goats are, Mountain Goats are an interesting example because people love them. I know you love them. I haven't kept I, up as much lately, but I have great admiration for them. Yeah. And I never liked them. Mm-hmm. I just don't like it. It's not my, it's not my thing. I don't like the sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is an example of one where I go in a weak moment, I will say, well, yeah, if you put out 40 records or whatever, um, People will stick with you. But when I hear people talk about them so worshipfully, Mm -hmm. I also have to realize, oh, that's just not, I'm not hearing it. Uh, It's not that it's not there. It's just that. But it's for somebody. But I mean, another one might be Ted Leo. That guy works really really hard. He works really hard. And Ted also, uh, during the authenticity wars, Ted maintained (laughs) authenticity. (laughs) Uh, in a way that it's... I fought with your father in the authenticity wars. <laughs> it's very hard. You, I mean, Ted worked hard also to maintain unimpeachability in the Fugazi model, where you go, look, those guys never, they never Wasn't charged he kind of mobbed up? Wasn't Chisel a DC band? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... Oh, not a, were they DC? He was from, I listened to an interview with him recently. It was really good, but he talked about leaving. He's from Connecticut, right? Or so somewhere in New England and then New England. And then he had moved. Oh no, he's from Jersey. I think maybe. He's from oh, Jer- I think you're, I think you're right. He's in, I think he's in, um, Providence now. Yeah. Don't be creepy, but um, outside. he's yeah. from outside Providence. Mm-hmm. He owns a little church. He owns his own church. Not really a church. It's more of a Grange hall. Hmm. In a little old town. Somewhere. I took you off your point. When people ask you how you feel about the fact that the long winners aren't famouser alongside bands that you kind of came up with, how do you feel about that? But what, what ends up happening is in the middle, in the young middle of my career, there were all kinds of bands that had the same amount or slightly more uh, juice and energy in the local scene and in the sort of CMJ-dominated uh, indie rock music scene nationally that I did feel that way about. Like, why the hell are those guys getting a one-page-in-magnet? Mm-hmm. But the fact is, I had a one-page-in-magnet. I had a three-page-in-magnet. Mm. Yeah, what do you think about that? Mm. Mm. Uh, but the bands that won out, because those bands are gone now, Hey, you just um, don't hear as much from Not a Surf these days, do you? Are they uh, still, they're well, still doing it. They're still doing it, right? They're on tour in Europe right now. Yeah, but Not a Surf is a good example. But of they a were band the, they, like they were like to me, maybe because I just had Barsuk on the brain. But like uh, there was that time when like you know when um, Let Go mm-hmm. came out, where like they were just omnipresent in my circles. Yeah, and they are. They always sold more records than we did, and I think they're a better band than we were. In in all of the measurements of a band, their live show was killer. Of a worked harder than we did. Their songs were catchier. Um, you could you know you can go back and forth all day. I think you your can, songs are pretty good, John. I got to tell you. you, you could put, but I mean, you put the best ten 
AC Newman songs up on the big board? Yeah, but get you, you, you've get got a lot of diversity. Your catalog's got a lot of diversity to it. I was singing your praises on a podcast that'll come out uh, Thursday um, about like just the the. I'm, I'm not here to blow smoke up your skirt, but like no, I, I think you what you have released is very is super interesting and diverse and very high quality and like your songwriting is really really good that's one of my biggest attractions to you as a performer is your song your songs are just so good this is a this is an issue though i think in a band because i like i like not a surf a lot but i think their five best known songs are not as good as your five best known songs i like them a lot don't get me wrong but their songs are their songs sound like not a surf song. That's true. Like the strokes have no diversity. They got in... a lot of eighth notes. They're into the eighth <laughs> notes and not a uh-huh. surf. Their sounds all their songs all their uh, the strokes, their songs all sound like the strokes. They sure do. Right? The uh, inter, uh Interpol, their songs all sound like Joy Division. <laughs> <laughs> But <laughs> I'm living in the ice age. Sorry. And, but when those songs come on, you're like, hey, that's got to be the new Interpol song. Whereas the Long Winters music all sounds like who the fuck knows, right? I mean, the only thing we don't have is a ska song. And there's a there's an everything. It's an everything, everything uh, sound. And that if you're trying to make a band popular is a bad strategy. I mean, the Mountain Goats, every song sounds like the Mountain Goats. Yeah. Um, you're never going to listen to a Mountain Goat song and go, wow, is this like, is this uh, some kind of orc pop? Is this the Smashing Pumpkins? I yeah, mean, you're right, not going right, to right. think. Um, so it's a, it, it was a bad, what I never did, and this is the other thing, right? I had a lot of these mixed ideas. Like I looked at somebody like Ted Leo and I admired the fact that he stayed true to his school. But my school was cut your own hair. My school was not be um, like sound like your influences. It was cut your own hair. And so right before every single photo shoot that we took, I cut my own hair, (laughs) which means that every photo of us, (laughs) I looked terrible. (laughs) And as I did it, I thought that People would look at the pictures and they would identify a kind of truth about me. Like, oh, that guy is true. But people don't look at it and say that. They say, why is he, did, I mean, why does he have that haircut? Yeah. That's a terrible haircut. <laughs> and so what I thought I was communicating, like I thought I was communicating in the song Cinnamon, this whole story about the Bader meinhof gang, mm-hmm. but I didn't give any evidence of it, right? And so I'm cutting my own hair before every photo shoot because I believe in the principle, but the principle does not convey. I see what you're saying. People couldn't look at you and know that you're a vegan. No. You know, I mean, you know, similarly, like there's something, there's something in your cred or know that you're straight edge. They couldn't like look at you and be able to glean unless you had a big X on your hand, right? Well, and the thing about Ted is that he had a big V for vegan on his shirt and he talked about it in every interview. Um, And what I had was like, you know, I had a suit like the Riddler covered with question marks. <laughs> and every single, Riddle me this pitchfork. <laughs> every single tour, it was like, this tour, I'm wearing a striped tie and I look like I'm in the Decembrists. And this tour, I'm wearing a gold leotard. It's and top I, hats for everybody. I started out one tour 
at where I was like, I'm just going to wear this track suit through the whole tour. And all, all, all three of my bandmates were like, when are you going to change out of your pajamas? And I said, I just, it's very comfortable. But like, what the, I, you know, I looked yeah. like I was in the happy Monday. <laughs> so there was no consistency. And it was all, it was all in my head that I was doing something that, that people were going to pick up on. But what I was really doing was this, like, uh, just this eclecticism that all people picked up on was, wait, is that the guy from LCD Sound System? Except he is, <laughs> except he's wearing, like, loafers and a bowler? Like, that doesn't, he's dressed like Clockwork Orange, and it doesn't make any sense. And that, and, and that's, I think, true in the, in the songs, too. Like, I, I, every song I just... I started completely fresh as like a new experiment, which I thought was a great premise. But when you listen to the records, you're like, never know what's coming next. What's coming next? Is the bass line going to be played on a tambourine? Like, I don't know. Huh. Huh. <laughs> uh, so what from that is to be gleaned? Because there's a lot of angles to that. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I'm just saying, like, there's a lot of... One, one angle is you, you thought you were going for something, and it didn't come across. Mm -hmm. Another could be a lesson for the youths, right, mm -hmm. about, about how, to, how to do your thing. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that part of the success of other bands is owed to the fact that they didn't do stuff like cut their hair before a photo shoot? They went and got it professionally cut at great expense. And professionally told the, cut by a professional. And and told the person, will you cut my hair so that I look cool? Mm. They probably brought in a picture of somebody and said this. Can you make me look like Ron Wood in 1972? Sure. And, uh, you know, and I was sitting in the mirror going, hmm, that's not even. Maybe I should cut up the other side a little bit. Hmm, oh. It's not even again. Maybe I should cut it up the other side a little bit, and then pretty soon, mm -hmm. you know, like I look, uh, I look like a uh, like a, a girl in college who's experimenting. <laughs> just trying um, some stuff out. Just trying some stuff out. Yeah. I I always wondered what would happen. I look back sometimes and wonder if in when I was sixteen, if I had just bought a leather jacket, a good one that fit me, mm -hmm. and had just worn that leather jacket. Oh, that like that'd be your thing. I had that leather jacket. Mm -hmm. I was a guy that had that leather jacket. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, that a lot, it would have just solved a lot of problems between the age of 16 and 26. Yeah. Because you wouldn't have to think about it. You just wear that jacket. All well, the like, time. you could be like, I'm thinking like a college. People show up at college and they, became, they become known for their one thing. Mm -hmm. Like it could be Skateboard Scott. Or, or, you know, it, it could be Scott. Or, or Snake Amy. I've told you about Snake mm -hmm. Amy. There are different Amys. And in the kenning of things, there was like Snake Amy. She's the one that had the snake. She had a pet snake she would carry around with her. Right. And so, and so I think you, that in this case, the leather jacket would be your snake. And if you picked hardcore as your sound, like hardcore is, well, it's right in the name. It's yeah. hardcore. Right. So it's all and, right on there. And so, and the sound of hardcore is very distinctive and you can learn it. And so then you are, if you stick, uh, in the way that we're describing, if you stick around long enough in hardcore, you become part of hardcore. Mm -hmm. You're no mm -hmm. longer just some aspirant 
you are part of hardcore. And once you become part of it, then what you did when you were young is now part of the history of hardcore. Oh, you were there. And you were in the trenches. That's right. And at you, the you time, got, yeah, but you got stories to tell. You got stories. And at the time, there were bigger bands than you. You were just like, you know, just gutting it out. But now, when those bands go away and you're still around, now you kind of have written the history of hardcore. Right, 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 right. You, you survived. You, got, you survived. <laughs> you and, got scars. The, and, and the victors write the history. Mm hmm. But if you start out and you're just like, I'm just, you know, I'm just like, a, I'm, our band is is different. We're on our own. We're doing our own thing. And you don't invent a genre, which is very hard, very, very hard to do. Mm -hmm. um, when people look back, they're like, well, you weren't really part of any scene back then. So it's not like you rewrote the history of that scene. You just floundered the whole time and you kind of clamored up onto whatever like raft you managed to get on right and then the raft went over the falls this is like what people i mean you know i, I don't want to cast dispersions but as you and i both know there's a handful of characters who keep reappearing in uh every music documentary oh yeah Right, well, so you get, you get a Fleer, you say, get a Chuck Klosterman. You get your Dave Grohl, he's in everyone. You get Dave Grohl, you get Thurston Moore. Yeah. Or like, like the, we're still talking to the Moody Blues an awful lot these days. They got a lot right? of stories to tell. People, you know, people feel very strongly about the Moody Blues. I don't understand that. Maybe I just don't, I, maybe I'm just not deep enough into their catalog. I don't think they have a deep catalog. But I'll, see, now I'll sit around. I'll sit around and, uh, and I'll, I'll, uh, uh, I'll watch me. Uh, a Genesis concert from 1972. That's just the thing I'll do. I'll just sit there and watch a, a low resolution, like something from like, like, I don't know, something around nursery crime or Foxtrot. And I'll just watch, I'll just watch a fucking Genesis concert. Oh it's, yeah. It's magic. It's, it's so weird and so good. They were such a good band. And most people just look at it and go, why is that guy dressed as a flower? But like, they really brought it. They brought it and they toured the shit out of it. And they were just, I mean, I don't know if, what your feelings are about Genesis, but like Phil Collins was a really good drummer and a really good singer. And, you know, and Steve Hackett, that, he plays that guitar like ringing a bell. Yeah. But like, and that Moody Blues, I don't find myself watching Moody Blues concerts. Is that bad on me? Should I be like a gentle giant? Should I be expanding my catalog more? I like Gentle so, Giant, by the way. I, th I think I'm more familiar with Gentle Giant. I know probably two or three Moody Blues songs, but yeah. I think I'm probably more familiar with Gentle Giant as a band. Go figure that I, out. I feel like Moody Blues, I am somebody who cannot be mad at the Moody Blues. Um, in the same, <laughs> That's very generous of you. In the same way that I still Letters listen to... Letters you've written, never meaning to send. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I still listen to Richard Harris sing about how he left his cake out in the rain. Oh, sure. And so the excess recipe again. Uh, uh, uh. That's that's the a good performance. That's a pretty good performance. It's great. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'll listen to uh, Mannheim Steamrollers Christmas every year, not because I want to, but because mm. my sister insists. That's nice. What's but, the band? What's the band that does the heavy metal Christmas stuff now? Who's that? I don't want. I don't want to hear that. Have I don't you heard the heavy metal Christmas songs? I have. I have. Is it Trans Siberian Railroad? It might be. Heavy Metal Christmas. I wouldn't follow that. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't No, thanks. <laughs> it's excruciating. But, you know, what Moody Blues was, was they were like, uh, they were like the guys following Pink Floyd. 
and they mm-hmm, they were taking mm-hmm. Pink Floyd and they were making it a little bit more palatable. And I'm not, I don't disagree with that. I'm not, I, I won't argue with them. But there are a lot, there's a lot of anger at Pink Flo- uh, or at uh, Moody Blues, huh. and uh, and I don't, you know, it's sort of like why? Yeah, no, no, why? no, no, no. Don't get me wrong. I, I don't mean to be slagging off on uh, Moody Blues. I'm not familiar enough to know, but but that's um, so now what I'm thinking of. God, I can't believe I'm saying this on the show. Do you ever watch the television show Portlandia? It's okay to say no. There's a recent episode I, no, of Portlandia. No, no, no. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I I love to go watch Portlandia sketches. Yes. Online, and, and partly it is because I have very very good feelings about Fred Armiston. Yeah. Yeah. Don't um, learn too much, but yeah, he's he's very he's very talented, and his eyes alone are very very funny. We are currently binging this program at our house. He sent me a very nice email. Uh, one time, and uh, just apropos of nothing, uh, based on his own just generousness, and uh, and I so about the band? Even, uh, no, uh, just like uh, just out, not not out of the blue, but he was, you know, he he felt he felt at that time that I could use or not. No, no, I don't think he even thought that way. He just became aware of me and wanted to send me an email. That's the best kind of of message to receive full stop. That is the best message. It was basically like he turned a corner, he bumped into me and he said, yay, you know what? You're too big for this town. Hmm. Like he gave me a little, he gave me just a little like, Hey, I became aware of you. And I just wanted to say, I really like what I just like your thing. And so I don't want to hear any bad things about no, him. No, I'm no, sure no, he's no. a weirdo. Yeah. Uh, but he's one of those, just, there's oh. two there's two mainstream performers that I can think of that uh and this is neither of these is anything too obscure, but there are two people where I just look at them and I just start laughing. Will Farrell, <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. Will Farrell, he is just naturally very funny. Will Farrell and Fred Armisen, they both have very funny eyes. That like even before they're doing anything, their eyes are just funny. I have never gotten into Will Ferrell. It's totally understandable. Totally understandable. You have to understand, at the heart of it, Will Ferrell is a weirdo. That's yeah. that's the great part. Like, he he gets known for these bits in the cowbell and whatnot, but, like, the only reason I mention this is there was... I don't know why I'm telling you this. I should cut this out. But uh, two or three episodes ago in Portlandia, there's a character, running character on the show named Spike, who's, like, the punk rock guy, who's in his, you know, 50s. And Spike decides it's time. It's time to speak truth to power. It's time to get his old band Riot Spray back together. <laughs> and um, and we know he's like this, he's this, you know, crusty punk rocker. And uh-huh. so Riot Spray, it turns out, and this is so great, it's Henry Rollins, <laughs> Chris Novoselic, and Brendan Canty from Fugazi. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's actually there. And Chris Novoselic, like, he looks like a guy you would just see at Whole Foods. Uh-huh. He's a, he's uh-huh. a, you know, he's a, a painted man with was glasses wearing, down on his nose. Was he wearing a, a toque? Because but, like, he's when you see him around town, does he just kind of look like a guy you'd see at Whole Foods? Well, so Chris moved to the most rural place in Washington. In in western Washington, I should say. There are rural places in eastern Washington that are very rural. Mm-hmm. Um you can get out there where you come over the come over the rise and there's a ha- an abandoned house that sitting like, on that's a That's like second amendment country, I'm it's, guessing. It's it's yeah, it's what it's uh it's the high plains. Mm-hmm. But in the in the west of Washington, there are a lot of places where it just rains all the time. And the main uh, the main cash crop is cranberries. Cranberries. And there are a lot of fishermen that are the kind of fishermen that just 
uh, every time they go out, they may not come back. You know, the kind Ooh, of like, the deadliest catch. They're the they're the real crazy ones, the ones whose eyes are permanently squinty, and the wind blows all the time. And there are there are shellfish people, and they're very shellfish. Uh, <laughs> Stupid word. <laughs> but uh, but he moved down there <laughs> and bought some land. Uh, and I know that territory pretty well, and I can only imagine, even if you buy the hillside, like the ground is always soggy, right? You can never, you're never really standing on hard ground. You know, you gotta really, I bet you really got to want to live there. Well, but, but it's kind of where he grew up, like out in Aberdeen. It, this is this the same country. Okay. Aberdeen's There's, where Nirvana started, right? Yeah. And there's no, there's no economy. I mean, there used to be logging, but it's, that's mostly gone. And he got so two things that he did that I think are great. One, he got his private pilot's license. Oh, that's cool. So every time he goes somewhere, I approve of that. Got, I approve of that as an aging rock star thing. I approve of the pilot's license. Yeah, it's great. But I mean, it's not like he has like a Learjet. He drives a little, you know, a Cessna 172, like. And he, when he comes to Seattle, he flies. He flies himself up there, and that's kind of cool. Cessna. It's great. Uh. But the other thing he did was he got himself elected to the Grange, the local like agriculture board. Which is that is, like a cowboy congress? Yeah, it's effectively like the government for the region. But all it is is they all get together in like a hall and argue about cranberries. Uh, but he's like active in super local politics, like the the local politics of this crazy little like way west super lewis and clark outpost out there when i was running for city council he and i talked every week because he was really interested in seattle politics and he really wanted um he really wanted to help me and he really wanted to make sure that i had my platform straight and 90 percent of the the advice he gave me and the stuff he wanted to talk about was like dead on. Always uh, bring cupcakes, that kind of thing. Well, and, and just like, you know, you need to like, you need but, to I mean, interact. He knows, I'm, I'm kidding, but he knows where he speaks here because he's, he's dealt with ornery characters in a, in a small town. Well, and people tried to get him to, I, there was a brief moment where he was put up to run for a national office. I think either, Either senator, maybe governor, I forget what it was, but he was he was proposed as a um, a politician himself, and I think he got into the race. And the first press conference he had, somebody was like, "So when Kurt Cobain died of her- heroin, did that affect your?" <sighs> and he was like, "Get me out of here." Yeah. Um, and so he said, "That's not for me. That world is not where I want to be." But See, he gave me okay, a lot. That, of- right, just so you know, right there, that's a pretty good example. Of what mm-hmm. I was talking about before. Yep. I think you kind of walked that path a little bit too, where it's like, I have a real clear idea of what I could do once I'm in here to help this stuff out. But boy, I hadn't even thought about you. You're, you're the poster boy for that. Yeah. The whole like, yeah. oh, talk, if you don't love this grind, it doesn't matter well, if you're good at the job. And like I said at the time, I think, you know, it's like to be a good city council person and to be good at running for city council are two totally different jobs. Yeah. And you have to be good at both. But to get elected, all you have to be good at is the running part. And then once you get in, 
is when people decide or discover whether or not you're good at the other part. Then you just concentrate on the graft and greed. And there, and there are a couple of people on the Seattle City Council that were running when I was running, and one in particular, I guess, who ran and won and then is now on there. And I think the, I don't know if it's the consensus yet, but I think it's clear, like, oh, not as good at it mm. as might have been. Uh, yeah, fighting the and, revolution is not the same as running the Banana Republic. Right. Ten percent of the advice that Chris gave me was about cranberry farming, which was not useful in running for office in Seattle. Did he sound wise? Uh, he just had some stuff that he wanted to make sure was on my agenda. <laughs> cranberry wisdom. And I was like, well, you know, get your we berries in a row. <laughs> we don't do as much cranberry stuff out here as you guys do down there. He could be a very, very specific kind of political consultant. <laughs> it was, it was not a, it was not a problem because the rest of his advice was so good. Uh, but yeah, he is a he is a, a a very, very, very unusual man, and and you know, like wonderful, wonderful. I told you about the event, didn't I? Where Duff McKagan asked him to come interview him for the release of Duff's book, mm -hmm. and they showed D up at Duff's the theater. Been on, Duff's been on Portlandia. I bet he has. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He was on there was, with the St. Vincent one time. It's mm -hmm. been suggested, uh, or it's been asked why I was never on Portlandia. Hmm. Uh, but I, you know what I didn't do? I didn't hmm. network. I didn't write Fred oh, Armisen see. back you and say, that grind, hey, man. hey, what's up? Just checking in. Hey, man. Didn't Hi. do it. <laughs> I wrote him back and I said, thank you so much for your kind letter. And he said, no problem. And then I was like, well, That's I don't nice. have anything else to say to him. I know, I, could, I know. Isn't that the worst? I could write him back and say, like, I love your... Your eyes. I almost, I almost wrote the McElroys this morning just to compliment them on their Casper ad read. And, and then I thought, you know what? They don't need that. No, but you know what? They love hearing from you because they really admire you. I really admire them. But I thought, you know what? I, I shouldn't do that. Because when you, when you contact somebody, you make it about you. Unless you're somebody like a Fred Armisen who makes it about the other person. That's a nice thing. You should write to, you should write to Reggie Watts. Wouldn't that be oh, nice? Oh, well, I mean, I That's think kind I've of an alpha said, move. A little I've bit of an made, alpha move. I've made all the compliments to Reggie that, that our relationship needs. <laughs> like those, he is sufficiently complimented for the rest of your relationship. To, well, maybe not. Maybe we'll mm -hmm. do a show together and I'll be like, that was great, Reggie. Mm -hmm. uh, but to write him now would be, he would get the email and he'd be like, hmm, mm -hmm. I wonder what he wants. Yeah. Like for me to write Fred Armiston now and say, hey. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think I think the season's already done. Yeah, yeah, no, they're done. They, uh, I heard an interview with Carrie. Yeah, it's all over. Too late for me to be on Portlandia, just as it's too late for me to be on a lot of things. <laughs> but uh, we've gotten that leather jacket. <laughs> although I should have. Although you know what? Huh. Remember, it wasn't very long ago when I was saying I've never won an award. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of a it's long, ongoing lament for you. Is you've never gotten one. And, and it, always, it always struck me that it wasn't that you felt like, maybe I'm getting this wrong, but it wasn't precisely that you felt like you were due an award for a given thing, but it was the bigger subset of like, why the fuck have I never gotten an award? Well, or like, yeah, right. What, what would the award be? But it seems like everybody's got an everybody award. Everybody gets awards. People get awards right and left. You can get a well, Webby, you know? Well, I mean, they're just giving that shit away. So I was sitting at home, do-do-do-do-doing. Mm-hmm. And the Grammys were on, and I knew it, and so I was avoiding all media, because who wants that? Mm. Who wants to be watching those? I'm even on the Grammy board. I vote in the Grammys, but I don't want to watch the show. No, no thanks. Mm. But then, uh, 
I get a tweet or wait a minute. No. Yeah. Well, hmm. Maybe I got, got, a, got a letter from somebody. I got a letter from somebody. Uh, uh, and maybe it was Amy herself. I, anyway, very, Amy's, very, Amy's been on Portlandia. Yeah, I know. She Amy has. was, Amy was their, uh, their housekeeper. She was great. She was mm-hmm. great. I've seen that episode, but I get it. Uh, so all of a sudden I'm texting with, uh, with Amy and she won the Grammy for best folk album. Really? That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I wouldn't have ever thought of her as That's a, a good folk record. artist. Yeah, is, yeah, right, 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 right. Like, what, a, what is a folk artist? Yeah, but, some of their categories are a little bit long in the tooth, but yeah. But so here she is, best folk album. And I realized, as we're texting back and forth, wait a minute, I wrote a song on that album. <gasps> oh. And so this isn't an example Will you of, be engraved somewhere? Well, this is what I'm wondering, mm-hmm. because it's not an example of Amy's album winning Best Packaging. Uh, which oh, is, it's there for the music, for the folks, for the folk music. It's there for the music. Mm-hmm. And so I did not say to Amy, <laughs> where's my parade? <laughs> but well, I con- might have seemed a little needy. <laughs> I contacted my people uh, in at the Grammys mm-hmm. and said, asking for a friend, if Hypothetically, mm-hmm. a, the a record wins a Grammy, and you have a Grammy for best in category, and your friend has written a song on that record. Uh, mm-hmm. What's the story with that? Yeah, that I know. Work. I know that you don't get one of the little gramophones, one of the gold gramophones, but is there something? And they they came back and said, yes, you get a very nice, suitable for framing gold embossed certificate that says, I won or I wrote a song on a Grammy winning album. The devil you say. And so all of a sudden, it's not quite that I won exactly something. Oh, no, it's worse. (laughs) But I did get a certificate. Mental Illness, Amy Mann, Best Folk Album. Yeah. She beat out Laura Marling. Offa Rex, The Secret mm-hmm. Sisters, and Cat Stevens. Mm-hmm. And Cat Stevens. He's called Yusuf slash Cat Stevens. Kapow. Yeah, The Laughing Apple, his album's called. Um, so, anyway, certificate. And then I was like, well... And the thing is, Jonathan Colton wrote a couple of songs on that record, too, so he's going to get a certificate. Well, which that kind of takes a little off it, doesn't it? It does. It kind of tarnishes it Shit. a little. Uh, and he actually, his record was nominated for, wait for it, Huh. Best packaging. Oh, it was good packaging. And he lost. My, Mike came with a comic book for a Matt Fraction comic book. Yep, I think nothing that's wrong right. with that. Uh, so he's actually going to get another certificate because you get a certificate that says I was nominated for a Grammy award. Hmm. So if he, you know, once again, like his wall of diplomas is much be- much better than mine. His <sighs> almost looks like a dentist office. See, that makes it all so much worse. He might even get nominated for a Tony because he. Uh, because he wrote some songs on the new SpongeBob musical. Oh, Jiminy! But but wait, wait, but, but this, that's neither here nor there. What I'm saying is that as I'm contemplating receiving this certificate, which I probably will not open, <laughs> I QED. <laughs> I realized that a few years ago, Kathleen Edwards won a SoCan prize, which is. A Canadian, a major Canadian. That's a major artist. Canadian award. Uh, it's a major award in Canada, 
And she won it for a song that I have a co-write on. And it was a generous, it was generous on her part. She was sitting in my living room and she was like, I want you to listen to the song and tell me what you think. And she played it for me on, on uh, my piano that, that my cousin yells about as being a weird sounding piano. And I said, oh, well, that's a great song. Obviously, you're a great songwriter. And uh, all I would do is change uh, this to that. And uh, then you should add this and take that away. And she gave you credit for that. And she gave me songwriting credit on it. Wow. And, you know, and it has a part that if you listen to the song, when the part comes, you go, oh, that's very mm-hmm. John. <clears throat> right. But, you know, it's a, wonder- it's a wonderful song. And it's her song entirely. But she gave me the songwriting credit. And so when the SOCAN Awards were announced, it, and the award was for best song. So it was announced that Kathleen Edwards and John Roderick won this award, SOCAN Award. Damn. Um, but I was not in Canada. And mm-hmm. I think, I don't, well, so I never wrote them a letter saying, is there a certificate or something? Yeah, I'm doing an article. I need to know. Just that curiosity. Just asking for a friend. <laughs> yeah. And so now it occurs to me that I have another certificate of participation for a thing that I kind of st- was standing next to when someone won. Mm-hmm. And now I'm starting to feel like, boy, I've... I've half won a couple of things. You should you should go back through your catalog and figure out, uh, you know, or just any of your relationships and figure out what what else are you owed. Well, you know, I did sing the background harmonies, mm-hmm. transatlanticism, transatlanticism. Now Sean's that, up for, now Sean will get one of those too. Is that going to make it worse? So so here's what happened. Sean sang on several of the songs. Well, maybe not several, a handful. He sang on three or something songs on that record. Sean does have a gold record on his wall from Transatlanticism. Oh, my God. Now, guess who doesn't? Hmm. Hmm? Is it it you? That's right. Mm. I don't have one. Mm. And I think it was in the when they're sitting there with the notepad out. Who do we send these to? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I've got to send one to old Shawnee. Well, Sean was very helpful. He mm-hmm. sang on several songs. He pops right to the top of the list. Um, and let's see. And we got to give one to the producer and the mm-hmm. mixer and the. Uh, so let's I, I see. Bet, uh, I bet, uh, but uh, Josh and Emily got one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right on the wall there at Barsook. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know what I did was I sang, "Come on." It's very, you can really hear it. Once you know you're on it, it really pops. Uh, yeah. And there's a, and I sang another part. And he just Sean just sang another one of his perfect angelic parts, which he does yep. all the time. That's easy for him. And you hear it. Because he's couple, an angel. He sings like an angel. He does. But and you, you, you brought you brought your 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 gut rattling, chest creaking, oh, sarcophagus. Oh, 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 listen to that. Oh, 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 oh listen oh, to that. I just want to oh, sing along oh, with it. Yep. Transatlanticism. But, I do not have Ugh. the thing for the wall 
that then you put, you know, you kind of put it next to the bathroom and you're like, oh, that old thing, like that thing, you know, you, or I could not open it. And it could be like a, a gold record. I love box. the idea of your trophy room being <laughs> unopened boxes, like you know, with a full display case and maybe a bell jar on it and a fucking plaque with a question mark. Hmm? Like just stuff you've gotten in the mail that might be an award. It would be so Yoko Ono. It would be so strange. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, it's but just arranged a room very artfully, beautifully yeah. framed and mounted things in envelopes. I mean, for all you know, it could be a big mouth Billy Bass, but it yeah. could also be a Grammy. <laughs> no one's saying it's not a Grammy. It's, it's Schrodinger's Grammy. Well, and you know, right in the center, a really big box that's probably a platinum record from oh, Death Cab for Cutie. You have to imagine they did very well, John. That's a very popular record. It was popular, and and you know, wouldn't cost a lot to send like one to everybody that worked on it. But who's to say how many people ended up learning about them because they came to see the opening act? I think it's pretty safe to say how many people did, yeah. uh, because hmm. you know we can look at our own record sales. You never know. You never know. Boy. But, uh, but yeah, so I, I mean, so my like my metaphysical trophy wall mm. has a lot of these like uh, award adjacent envelopes. Yeah, and I just like, and now, of course now we have phony awards. That's the thing. See, somebody went to the trouble. Yeah, a, 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 an award, a non-existent award that we made up, and we're mad that we weren't nominated for. Somebody made that real. Rory made that real. He made you the headphones. You have, you, an, an award was literally invented for you. What could be better? Yeah, although I invented it. But, or we invented well, it. Well, you conceptualized it. That's right. But, but I you, did didn't not, paint, you didn't paint any fucking headphones. No, I didn't take headphones and build a, a phony award. He makes and swords to, and stuff. That guy's the real deal. Well, and to be honest, those are noise protection headphones. So. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you got to just wrap it up and put it away. Why bother? Why fucking bother? <laughs>